bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of transformation after making the switch to a whole food plant-based diet. In this podcast, we have spoken with doctors, nutritionists, dietitians, neuropsychologists, neuroscientists, naturopaths, researchers, all kinds of incredible people, as well as many, many, many amazing people who have shared their healing journeys with us, their incredible healing journeys with us, and who I felt so honoured to get to meet and bear witness to their darkest moments. And recently I've been doing some more of a deep dive into behaviour change and into pulling off some of the layers when we're looking at our own health journeys and we're looking at our own relationship with food specifically because this podcast is 90% focused on diet being an integral factor in reversing and preventing chronic illness. But for many people, it's really, really, really hard to change our diets. It's really hard to stop making the choices that we've been making or have been made for us since we were born in relation to the foods that we're putting into our mouths. And I don't know where I read it, but I read somewhere that it is harder to change your diet than it is to change your religion. We are just so conditioned to eat a certain way and we're conditioned to celebrate with food a certain way, to reward ourselves with food a certain way. Lollies are a reward, cupcakes on sports day, sausages at Bunnings when we're doing our DIY, jelly beans at the chemist, birthday cakes on our birthdays, turkey and ham on Christmas and Thanksgiving. We reward ourselves with food all the time and those foods become a part of our, our culture, of our lives, of the and they become part of the memories of our loved ones, you know, the people that came to those birthdays and those celebrations. They're so deeply entwined in who we are and in our, in our very identities. And when we say, oh, you know, give up dairy, ice cream, chocolate, birthday cake, roast turkey, roast, you're asking people to dismantle much of who they are, the best memories, the holidays with all the food and the holidays, the Christmases, celebrations, all our happiest memories most often involve some sort of celebration with food, ice cream cones, trips to the city with your mum where you got a special donut or you got a special treat or popcorn, cinema popcorn or the ice cream cone at the cinemas. It's so entangled with who we are. And then when we can't do or commit to or we fall off the wagon of the latest diet that we're trying to do or the latest lifestyle change we're trying to make, we blame and shame ourselves and we think it's because we have no willpower, we lack inner strength, we lack 
the fortitude or the wherewithal to make this change. And and we look at other people and we say, they can do it. Why can't we? It must be because we are broken. We are lesser than. We are, aren't as good. We are hopeless. And I just want to throw all of that away and let you know that you're none of those things. There are so many factors, and we talk, we touch on lots of those factors in all the episodes of this podcast. Food scientists and the bliss points that they create and develop and ensure that their foods meet to make us hooked on them. The pleasure trap, our microbiome. There are so many pieces to the puzzle deeply woven into the foods we eat and the choices we make around foods and any other substance, but food in this context. After the recent episode around shame, I really wanted to speak to a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and on the topic of attachment styles and attachment theory, because this is something that's we just haven't touched on here yet. And I think it's really important to understand what your particular attachment style is and where it came from and and how that may impact on your relationship with food or your, you know, obviously, and and how it impacts on our children when we're trying, if, if you've got young children, this is a great episode because today's guest is a perinatal psychologist and specialises in pregnancy, antenatal depression and anxiety, infants, toddlers, parenting, couples, relationships, etc. She's wonderful. Her name is Dr. Yoko Hayashi and she's a clinical psychologist. Today we're just going to talk about attachment theory because when I asked a psychotherapist friend of mine about what would be her number one thing that she wishes people would know to help them on their healing journeys. And she said she wishes more people knew about attachment theory because it plays such an integral role in our choices and our decisions and our behaviours. So today we're going to take a look at attachment theory with Dr. Yoko Hayashi. I hope that you enjoyed this episode And please head to the show notes because she has left a heap of great links for you to check out. And I know that you, if you haven't and you're curious, she'll give you a good place to start a bit of a deep dive of your own into your own attachment style and how you can formulate a secure attachment within yourself, which is something that I am still doing. So it isn't a one stop. You get to the end and then you get a gold star. We're all working on this all the time and we're in a global pandemic. I'm highly aware that this is a really difficult time for us all, which is why this information is now even more important to know because when we are struggling with our emotions, we often go back to our default kind of settings and it's important to know what that default setting is. That's my own explanation of that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you at the end. Thank you. Hello, Yoko, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Corinne. I should probably should call you Dr. Yoko. I felt <laughs> that was oh, a bit informal of me. What would no, you prefer? No, that's fine. I don't call myself doctor. Is that... <laughs> 
<laughs> I would force my mine. family to do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's not mum, it's Dr. Corinne. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm mum as well, so <laughs> mum to mum. <laughs> so, Yoko, I approached you about coming on the show because we've been having a few conversations about the psychology of eating and and shame and those other underlying reasons that we make the choices that we make around food throughout our lives. And so I spoke to you and we were thinking that it might be best to kind of start with a, by talking about attachment theory. And I don't know enough about attachment theory. So I'm going to let Yoko give us a brief introduction to what attachment theory is. So if you're thinking, why can't I make these changes that seem so obvious that other people tend to make, this episode may help you understand a little bit more about the other possible potential factors impacting upon your choices. Yeah. And I guess, you know, attachment theory really is fundamental in understanding you know, how childhood experiences does, you know, impact our life, whether it's eating or the way we relate to others, the way we parent, you know, it does have widespread, you know, ripple effect, I guess. Yes. And so but what is it? So I guess it's a formal definition is a child's biological bond to her or his primary caregivers and which are usually parents. And tended to be because mothers are the, you know, primary caregiver still in the, you know, current age. So it tends to be focused on mothers, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And so how has us moving away from living more in community, you know, even my, even two generations ago, my grandmother had lots of aunts and cousins around helping to raise the children, how has that changed? Like how, how, how has that impacted upon attachment theory with those relationships in those early years? I guess, you know, just going back to really, really old age, you know, because that's when, you know, attachment, I guess, um, so because it has that evolutionary background. So can I just go back there yeah, first? Yeah, you can. Go. Yeah. I guess, you know, human babies are very premature, you know, very vulnerable. So I guess the attachment theory is based on the fact that, you know, human babies needed to be attached to their primary caregivers or parents to be able to survive. So I guess that's the fundamental of attachment. So there is internal drive for babies to be forming relationships with their adults, I guess, yeah. So what do you think happened? What do you think the impact was then of, I guess, you know, I'm I'm thinking it was one of the nuclear family now. Yeah, the more nuclear family now. I guess perhaps, you know, from attachment perspective, I was, I can kind of assume if a few generations ago, more people are involved in caring for the baby or supporting the mother, probably the mother was in a much better position in terms of, you know, she, she has more capacity to provide to the baby and respond to the baby's need, which is fundamental for forming secure attachment. Yeah. 
Yes, I know, speaking from my own personal experience, that motherhood solo, especially motherhood in a pandemic solo, right now, even though my husband is here with me, it's just very intense to not have any space to refill your tank to then care for your children. Yeah, because you can't give if you're empty yourself, Mm. yeah, Mm. yeah. It's really, really difficult. And so just on, just before we dive too much into that, but what happened, do you think, when we introduce things such as, you know, first for the safety, all best intentions in most cases, but things like cots and things that made it easier to separate, like in bot- formula feeding, which obviously saves lives, but it has, I imagine, a, a ripple effect in how it impacted upon attachment. I guess it, I, I wonder, I think back to say 70s, 1970s, I think there was um, more focus on perhaps coming from feminist movement, which, you know, I fully support as well. The pressure for, I guess, mothers to um, strive to be more independent. And I guess the, you know, also there was a push towards babies to, I guess, self-settle and all, you know, that sort of notion, I guess, started around that time, I think. And um yeah, I think it, in terms of attachment point of view, it's tricky because babies do need to be cuddled. Babies do need to be fed more frequently. So it doesn't always go according to, say, four-hour schedule as it was, I guess, prescribed at the time perhaps, yeah? Mm. Yeah, so I can imagine that might have had some sort of in, impact, you know, negative impact on attachment. But the tricky thing with attachment also is that you don't have to be 100% there Research says, it's interesting, the research says it's something like 35% um, that you need to be present and good enough. That's a relief, everyone listening. Yeah, That's a relief. Yeah. That's a relief. 35% is doable. And also, if you think about maybe it was a sort of a few decades ago, that was kind of, you know, extreme example. But perhaps if parents were still present and available on a consistent basis, and then I wonder the impact might not have been as negative, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I guess when mother and father were in the workplace and we had kids kids self-soothing and in cots and all those things, then it can... And I guess it sort of then has a compound impact as in, you know, I, I assume the mother or father will be very tired from working, you know, juggling work and family. So it's not necessarily about... You know, it's not only about, you know, using bottle feeding or cop, but I think it's more about that, you know, stress on the family unit itself that can have significant impact, yeah. Yeah, okay. So with with attachment, I'm a social worker, so I know a little bit but not a lot. With attachment styles, I've heard about secure and avoidant. So there are a few attachment styles, so there's, so secure is the obviously a good one. Yeah, you know? yeah. And there's an insecure, some sort of, there are a few different terms used. So secure and insecure, avoidant, insecure, anxious attachment. And then we have disorganized attachment. <laughs> so four different types, yeah. Secure, avoidant, anxious, and disorganized. Sorry, so secure is the one form and there's a, Two types in, in under insecure, which is insecure, avoidant, and insecure, anxious. Insecure, anxious. And then there's a disorganized attachment, 
both secure and insecure attachment styles are under-organized attachment style because it's there's a consistency, I guess, in terms of how parents respond. And then results is results are either you know insecure or insecure avoidant or the insecure anxious. While disorganized is like really inconsistent and more sort of fundamentally, I guess, difficult form of attachment. So what would it present like for if I was, say, avoidant, had an avoidant attachment? So I can explain sort of um, as an example. So the insecure avoidant attachment will be formed if, say, the baby, when we are coding attachments that we see the baby's behavior and how, how, I guess say, how the baby reacts to the parent when they are distressed, yeah? So um, the insecure avoidant um, baby will show, so when, the, um, when he is distressed, he will not reach out to his parent or mother or father or whoever his primary caregiver is. So he, he's distressed, but he's, um, he's not able to reach out and ask for help for reassurance from his parents. And the reason is because his parents, you know, provided limited care or even rejected his needs in the past. And that has happened consistently. So he just knows that his parents won't, will not respond. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the generalized view of the insecure avoidant attachment. Yes. Okay. And so how would anxious present? So the anxious one, so in terms of their behavior, so they do seek comfort from their parents when they're distressed, but they're not easily soothed or they might even show sort of aggression or anger towards them. You know, they get upset even though parents are trying to soothe them. Yeah, so they're sort of anxious, I guess, in that presentation. The reason that, I guess, the baby might form insecure, anxious attachment is because from her experience, I guess her parents provided very inconsistent care, so inconsistent in meeting her needs. So she's not quite sure what what happens, what will happen this time. Mm, Yeah. So I think for many of us, Many of us would would have fall have fallen into these parenting styles because you know I know I was put in a room and cried it out when I was a little baby and just left to cry it out. And if you're a parent right now and you're following that method, and I'm not meaning to shame you, I don't want you to feel ashamed. I'm just learning myself, and I have done all kinds of things as a parent, so I definitely cannot sit here on my high horse because I'm I'm on a low horse. <laughs> I'm on a low yeah, horse. It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. It's tricky, yeah. but it's it it's just to raise awareness because I, you know, my parents are loving. They did the very best they could with the information that they had, and we we all are, and with the resources that we have. So it's not. It's just interesting to learn. The more we learn, the more we can learn about ourselves and change our own behaviors and adapt and 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 change the way we are parenting our children. Yeah, and I guess that's why I think understanding, and I'll touch that um, later on, but understanding our own attachment history can be very important um, in when we are parenting as well because it does give us insight yeah, into how we are parented and how that might be impacting our parenting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's interesting because I think, I, you know, I 
often you see when you're looking around, a lot of men tend to fall into the avoidant avoidant attachment styles. And like we know in our culture that that men just tend to, once they get to about five, they get hugged less, they get less affection, they get boys will be boys, man up, suck it up, stop crying, all of those things. So their, their emotional needs are not met. Yeah? They're not yeah. met. And for women, often it's anxiously it's attachment that I, I see. Me personally, I, I feel like I'm a bit of, of an avoidant attacher some of the time, a lot of the time. But I do think that it's important to know because when we're, we have those attachment styles and our needs aren't being met, I imagine that that puts us, and I don't know this, I'm just questioning you, but that puts us in a state of if we're feeling anxious or if we're being triggered but we're avoiding our emotions, turning to other addictions and other ways of getting those needs met, those emotional needs met. Is that is that something that happens when you have... I, I guess I can imagine how certain att- attachment style might, for example, you know, it could be any insecure sort of a, 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 um, attachment style, but, you know, if you are finding it difficult to reach out to be comforted, of course you then still need to find some way of coping or some way of being comforted, yeah? So it might be it's a form of alcohol, eating. So, yeah, I can see that can lead to unhelpful coping behaviour. And just if you're listening, thinking about what's happening globally at the moment, you know, we, for me, I... I kind of get, I've kind of, as I've grown, I've gotten better with sitting, sitting with myself, but I like to talk to people. I like to go out and talk to the librarian staff and go get my coffee and chat to the beautiful people at the cafes that I go to. And I like to talk to the school mums and I, I'm a person who likes to get out and have a chat. Now my husband's not necessarily that way inclined, but I am, and even he is missing people, but I'm really feeling, well, I'm feeling insecure at the moment. You know, I can really feel this deep. Just in the last, just since literally yesterday when they said masks are now compulsory outside the house, it really, because I can't see people's faces. They can't oh, see no, that I'm yeah, friendly. Yeah, they can't see yeah. that I am care about them. They can't see that I'm worried that they're okay. And that really hurts me yeah and i think you know you're right in that i'm noticing you know obviously i see a lot of clients um going through you know the 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 pandemic and i'm noticing that anxiety but also yeah i think the usual strategies or self-care strategies that we use are not available which makes it really really tricky then we are limited to say a cup of glass of wine you know or you know eating chocolate or Something you know, something that you don't you know always. I guess we we you know I we do, but you know it sort of becomes very limited. Absolutely, absolutely. Like from you know, from many people that I see around me, like people who like to go to the gym can't go to the gym, and that was their outlet. People who like to do dance classes or pottery or whatever it is, yoga classes, they can't do them. And so many different forms of exercise and visiting and seeing your family and friends, like everything that I think of, oh, like this weekend, I was like, oh, it would have been so nice to go see my mum and dad, but I can't see my mum and dad. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's just heavy. And so you can see why you're know, in this podcast, we talk all about doing these things, but a lot of the things we talk about, about self-care have been removed. And then what's left is these things that 
well, the unhealthy habits that we've been trying to. Yeah, and then on top of it, this is, you know, the pandemic itself is very stressful, yeah. So, yeah. So stressful. Yeah, it is, yeah. You know, homeschooling, all those kinds of things. So it's a really big challenge. So it's just about, not about making anyone feel guilty for how we're acting in this because no one can. You you shouldn't feel guilty. It's just about, like, just noticing and checking in with yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think giving yourself permission that this is not a normal situation, yeah, and some a bit of a chocolate and a bit of a wine is fine. I think it is about taking care of yourself mm-hmm. and emotional need, um, not just with those. Yeah, I guess strategies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I just wanted to get back just on attachment because I have a tendency to go off on so tangents. I, I too, everyone yep, who yep. listens will know. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> They've kept listening for all this time, so they must be used to it. So the impacts of early attachment on our relationships and parenting so can you unpack that a bit for us yeah yeah so i guess in terms of attachment so what bowlby so bowlby is the psychologist the the guy who um proposed attachment theory and what he also proposed is that we have through attachment experiences we develop internal working model which is really about um so it's a cognitive framework consisting of mental representations for understanding the self, others, and the world around us. And this will, so this working model then will guide our future interactions and relationships. So if that's obviously based on that, then you kind of think, okay, if we, if we have a certain internal working model because of our attachment history, then yes, of you know the way we relate to um, ourselves and to others, whether in the fo- informal friendships or intimate relationships or with children, that will all have be affected by that. You know what we have in our head. <laughs> yes, and so what I'm getting from what you're saying is, I, I always give myself as an example because I only have me as a. I'm an, I'm an author. I'm authority on this. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an authority on myself. Yeah, you're expert. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're listening and you're thinking, like, how does this relate to me? Like, one of the things that I think about in my twenties, there's a few toxic, like, t- t- a few avoidant, insecure, avoidant behaviors that I can see so clearly now. One was my relationship with cigarettes. Like, if I was having an argument or if I was feeling uncomfortable, I'd go outside for a cigarette. Or I'd go and eat some biscuits or yeah, I'd do both yeah. at the same time. So you remo- remove yourself from that situation. Yes. Yeah. And I would even, at, at, at worst, like when things were very bad when my brother was dying and I was very sick with multiple sclerosis, I was in this relationship at the time that wasn't good but I didn't, I couldn't help, couldn't stand being alone because I was just so unhappy. But it wasn't a it wasn't the right thing to be in that relationship. But when he would bring up our relationship and where it was going and the direction, I literally would take Valium that the doctor had given me to to deal with my brother's death to make myself go to sleep so that I wouldn't have to have that conversation. And like that seems over the top, possibly to many people. But I mean, now looking back, I can see that I had an avoidant attachment style and even with my husband now when we were in those early days I would go in another room I'd pack up my car and drive away when we were dating I'd always be moving away from him because I didn't want to avoid 
the yuck feeling or to avoid it into a packet of biscuits or want to avoid it into <laughs> into food or, you know. So I'm not saying that that's you if you're listening and you're like, I never behaved in that way. But, but perhaps it was you had an anxious attachment and I don't know quite what that would look like for yeah, you. Yeah, that would be more of a come I guess come across as more clingy, yes. perhaps, yeah? yeah, so very needy or dependent just because, you know, I am very anxious. I don't know what I will get. So I just try to grab as much as possible sort of, you know. It's interesting. Is there, is there a relationship, like a correlation between people who are avoiding attracting mates that are insecure? Because I feel like all of my exes were insecure attached to me. Yeah, I think I can see it because that would trigger. And if it's interesting how in the, you know, romantic relationships, we seem to choose the, you know, certain partner, obviously. And that probably is to do with that, that, you know, in some way um, our attachment history but I can see the dynamic, and I think it is a quite common dynamic. Yeah. yeah. So one person chases the other person, and the other person just runs, you know, trying to withdraw. <laughs> that was definitely me. I was the avoided one, which is interesting because my friends are always talking to me about their partners because they know that I can relate to their partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm yeah, often the one yeah. that's like, I, know, I think your husband will be thinking like this because this is what I used to <laughs> I wear the masculine hat in those. Yeah, but that's really um, common dynamics. Even, you know, some of the, I guess, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Gottman's work, but they often talk about, so they're John and Julie Gottman, so they're researchers, but also psychologists, um, well known for their couple therapy and research. So they often talk about, and I'll give you um, the article later because it has really, they have really good um, article on how early attachment styles can influence later relationships. So exactly what we're talking about. But yeah, now I got sidetracked and I don't know where I was. I know, same. <laughs> so we're talking about attachment history and I was just trying to, for people who were like, how does this relate? I just wanted to give you like a, a example. So I was using myself as an example of what a avoidant Insecure yeah. avoidant so, yeah, attachment so they, well, would look like, you know, and we've now I remember what Yoko's talking about what insecure looks like, and then we're talking about how oh, we yeah. tend to dynamic, ch- yep, often yeah, a, yeah. often date the opposite of ourselves. Yeah, and I guess the dynamic is very common because they often talk about that in their books and also articles as well about how one person tends to then you know withdraw, so that the other person feels insecure, triggered, so then they will try to go after even more and then the other partner just withdraws even more you know it's just a you know vicious cycle yeah that's I can I can definitely relate and it is it's interesting when it plays out and for me it was very bizarre when it kind of ended and I stopped avoiding yeah yeah it was a very like it was like uh did you sort of realize this you know this is happening but it's not helpful I yeah I just I remember laying in I'd, I'd avoided him I'd, I'd gone out of the fight and it was a silly fight about nothing and I'd gone into another room to avoid it and I was laying there thinking I love this person and I want to be with him forever what's my end game for this behavior if we do this for the rest of our life it's going to be pretty awful and so then I got up and decided that I wasn't going to make that choice again. Yeah, and I guess that's where the importance of the insight is, isn't it, and to be able to reflect. Yeah, but it's still not easy. I still have to pause. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because I think it's sort of very ingrained. I think we becomes a habit, and like I said before, it's internal working model almost driving us or you know guiding our behavior. Obviously, so unless we are able to pause and reflect. It's hard to, I guess, break the habit. It is, and you see, it's、uh, it is really hard, and then it is it's hard because you do feel ashamed. Like I, you know, I was wasn't the nicest girlfriend to a lot, and to my husband when we were boyfriend and girlfriend, a lot because of that avoidant pattern. And if you're listening and you're avoidant too, I hear you. Let's have a hug.、Yeah. Let's hug. Let's hug、yeah. it out in an avoidant way. <laughs> <laughs> From a, from a distance, <laughs> from a distance, we'll hug yeah. it out. Yeah, But、yeah. um, it is really challenging, and I do think for me, like you know, you see people avoid into alcohol, drugs, into food often, and we don't think it's that, and we think that we're we lack willpower, or that we're lazy, or that we're hopeless, or they're all their things. But once you realize what's Under yeah,、it. that's it, what's underlying. It's that, easier you know, to、behavior. be more compassionate、yeah. to yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and also once you realize that's what's happening, hopefully you can address the you know core issue, not just the addiction, for example, and then that will help you deal with the addiction as well. Yeah,、mm. I know this isn't your area of expertise, but with anxious, insecure attachment, do they tend to have A similar level of issues with addictive behaviors, or less. So、mm. I'm not. Look, I'm just yeah, curious. I'm、sure. Just, just curious. I might need to research on that one、yeah. because, yeah, yeah. I guess you know, yeah, addiction's not really my area. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I know. I, I guess I, was thinking I just then. I can talk a bit more in, in sort of in the context of trauma, yes, trauma, but、yes. not so much yet in addiction. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'll look into it for you guys and put a link if I find anything in the show notes. This was curious because with avoiding, it makes so much sense that you're like, I want to avoid this feeling, so I'm going to numb it out with food or alcohol or drugs or gambling. I, or I sex. think I wonder, you know, from my understanding of insecure avoidant and insecure anxious, yeah. Possibly, you know, different forms of addiction. Yeah, true.、Maybe. Yeah, like sex addiction. I wonder if that yeah, would be more、yeah. of a thing people with. Yeah. yeah, or relationship type of addiction where you tend tends to tendency to choose certain type of you know partner, for example. Or well, avoidant might be more to do with say. Substance, like because they're trying to numb or yeah, yeah, and and again, this is can be really triggering if you've had a childhood and parents or caregivers where it's you know been physical or verbal or emotional abuse and violence. I don't want to minimize that, and I hope that you're getting support wherever you are. And I'll put some links in the show notes if this is bringing up. Difficult, challenging emotions from your childhood. It's it's just what my hope is for this podcast is to take away the shame and the blame and the the guilt around the choices that we've made and just add another piece of knowledge that you can say, oh, it's it's not your fault because it's really not your fault. Releasing the guilt, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and a shame, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if we're going on from that, because we're 
I've just opened the segue to talking about trauma and attachment. How does trauma impact on attachment? Just in, in terms of trauma, so trauma does have definitely have an impact on attachment. I just wanted to um, cover, because we didn't cover the disorganised attachment style. Yes, please. Often is associated with trauma. So disorganised attachment is where when the baby is in distress, he or he or she will show sort of really disorganized behavior, like initially reaching out towards the caregiver, but then quickly becoming really, really, you know, scared instead. Yeah. So sort of, you know, really mixed emotions towards the caregiver. So wanting to be comforted, but then also scared. And I guess that's, and so disorganized attachment is often thought to be associated strongly with trauma, like child abuse and also later with more serious sort of mental health issues as well, yeah. So with disorganised attachment, would would that be something that, forgive my, I, I, my lack of awareness, but would that be something that many, many, many people who've gone through that would end up with? Not necessarily, yeah. So it's just because I guess it's interesting even with the research, the majority of people apparently have secure attachment, yeah. So it's only, and I think disorganised is quite a small percentage. But So this would be significant trauma. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, significant. Also the important thing is to, so some, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists talk about this um, but when you have even though your primary care caregivers like parents have been a bit, you know very abusive or neglectful towards you when you have one person one consistent person possibly outside your family like your grandmother or a teacher at school who were able to provide that sense of security and the trust that could be a very protective factor as well. So that person might not then end up having that disorganized attachment. Yeah. 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 Okay. Which is very hopeful for, I think, many, many people. So with trauma and attachment, is this, is it, is is it always, does it always need to be very serious trauma? Because I know that as it's varying degrees to become a disorganized attached. Yeah. How do I express this? To form a disorganized attachment. Yeah. I I think it must be a bit of a combination as well, not just the severity, but, you know, how long that went on or, you know, did so like I said before, did anyone warm and loving was present in that person's, you know, life throughout and or, you know, not necessarily just in the childhood. And also the, that child's resiliency to some degree, I wonder, or personality might also impact. Because I think, that, you know, the tricky thing is that some form of views are not very visible. So from outside point of view, we might not know, say, emotional abuse happening at someone's house because, you know, you just don't see it normally, yeah? But then that can be as damaging as other form of abuse because if you're told constantly how you're not good enough or, you know, everything's your fault or, you know, that sort of really damaging, you know, was or you're not, you know, useless, you're useless or, you know, it's, it's really hard for the child to sort of then feel, you know, good about themselves really. Yeah, it's very difficult. I, I know I'm, I'm certain that the people, 
that there would be people listening who, as a mother, you know, you feel guilty for every single thing you say and you're thinking, is this the thing that's going to send my child into needing therapy? <laughs> is this the thing? So, so the word is, I guess, in terms of attachment, it is the consistency. So same as, you know, if we can provide, say, I said 35% in terms of good enough mama, mother, but, um, you know, if you can provide, say, 70, 80% of the time, be consistently loving, nurturing, then I think we can kind of, you know, repair other areas that we might have, you know, made mistakes, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so don't write yourself off. <laughs> That's yeah, what you're yeah. saying. I think we, yeah, we all, I'm a psychologist, but I have made mistakes. We all do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's really, really difficult, this parenting game, because we just don't know what we're doing. And I, and the same with our parents. You know, I remember, you know, when, early on when I was thinking about my own mum, it's easy to be like, oh, when you're a t- teenager I'm talking about. And you're writing off your mum as a terrible mum. Yep, yep, and, <laughs> and then with adult eyes thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, she had a sick son and she was doing her best and they were farmers struggling on the farm and all these things. And give yourself a bit of that kindness and forgiveness and listen, you know, check in and be like, you know, we're in a pandemic and we're <laughs> there's no more rules. The rule book's been thrown out. Being kind and compassionate. It's really important whether you're dealing with the parenting stress or also your own attachment history. So what would be tips for people listening who are thinking, okay, now I'm realising that I'm avoidant attached, I have an avoidant attachment style and that's partly why I turn to drugs, alcohol, food to comfort myself um, rather than face my, how do I, how do I move on from that? Because it might seem like it's too hard basket. How do you fix this? But yeah, there are some I guess, tips. You know, the start will be to really understand and make sense of your own experience. And, you know, the well-known expert in, you know, parenting, and he's a child psychiatrist himself, Dr. Dan Siegel. He talks about how, you know, all parents can have a secure attachment with their children regardless of their own childhood experiences, as long as we make sense of our own story, yeah? Yeah, so I guess it is about us as a parents taking time to do that work. Where do you begin there? Like if you're not sure, if you're listening going, I don't know what my attachment style is, I think my parents did a pretty good job. How would they find out what their attachment style is? Yeah, so he, he talks about, you know, in terms of making sense, what he says is that we have a coherent narrative of our own upbringing. So how we were raised are impacting our current life. So when you are able to do that sort of linking between different sort of, you know, experiences into you, who you are, I think that does help us sort of have a better insight into recognising, you know, any sort of habits or way of unhelping and unhelpful sort of coping and or parenting and then you know we can do something about it okay so linking the different experiences from your past to who to who you are who you are and you are then able to form a coherent story that makes sense to you okay and in terms of that see i'm not affiliated with him as well uh, I, i'm not affiliated with him at all but i i have um recently come across he has a course online course on exactly on this oh, wow. 
Yes, I can um, I can send you a link to that so you yeah. can then share with your listeners because I often get asked about this and we obviously do that in counselling sessions but Dan Siegel and there's another person together they have this online workshop where you I think through writing I think they do a lot of writing to help you integrate that writing journaling has really helped yeah really yeah yeah definitely even yesterday I had this bit of a parenting pandemic moment with my son and that night, there was no time to do it in the day, but in the evening last night, I just sat with my journal and just wrote, and I wrote him a letter like he had found my journal when he was old. Just unpacking it and unpacking how I love him and what I hope for him just kind of naturally kind of flowed into that. It wasn't starting like that, but I started to write about how annoyed I was with him. And I thought, if he reads this one day, I'll feel bad. <laughs> so then I, yeah, yeah. then I made it like I was writing to him yeah. reading but it. But writing is definitely great because it is a way of, organizing our thoughts and experiences yeah yeah but it did help it it does if you're listening and you're not a writer my pen I've lost my pen license four times in primary school you don't need to be able to read it it's just a matter of kind of getting it out and then it changes this energy that's stuck I feel for me like it's stuck in me until I get it out and then I can see it and be like oh yeah I'm doing this because I'm feel like when I wrote down all of the stress inside me about work right now, there's like none and there's no money coming in and there's no cafes, there's no libraries, there's no things to do with my kids. I have to wear a mask everywhere. All these different things. There's no there's total global uncertainty. We can't travel or go on holiday. Or pl- we can't plan anything. No, no. It's just I like to have some control. <laughs> and and then, yeah, we all do, don't we? And yeah. there is none. And I wrote it and I then had some forgiveness from myself. So when we're thinking about alcohol, why, why we turn to alcohol foods or those kind of things, when you write it down like what your stresses are and you can have it clearly on the page and go, oh, yeah, that's of, why. of yeah. course yeah. I wanted chocolate. Of course I wanted to have a glass of wine. Yeah, yeah. So I think writing down really helps us to, because I think when we're just thinking in our head, it's often disorganized really, yeah. So I think writing down helps us really put put it out there and see, make it more tangible. And then when you see those issues clearly, then you are able to be more compassionate, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What would be some other tips that you could suggest for people who are wanting to build secure attachment for uh, or to to build their own or to co-create it with for their children. So like I said before if you were from you know quite difficult background I think I highly recommend you to do your own healing work you know whether through therapy or through you know that writing course that Dr. Dan Siegel provides. <laughs> yeah and then in terms of how you want to and I guess in terms of fostering insecure attachment with your children it is, I guess, the basic for me as a, you know, psychologist working with a lot of parents with babies, I often say it's about being responsive and reflective. So responsive meaning you are responsible to the child's unique needs, which might be different from children, you know, child to child. It's so hard because you do think that you, when you are a parent, I don't know, 
if you really understand that both kids, that the two people that you create or the four people have, that you create will be different and yeah. have different needs. Yeah. Because yesterday yeah. I was upset and one son was upset with me, you know, really beside me. And the other son was playing and could not have given a single second thought about that I was upset. Well, a bit, a tiny amount, but comparatively yeah. very different. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's where we need to sort of pause and really understand, okay, is this what my, or really ask ourselves, is this what my child needs? And I guess that's what that responsiveness comes from when, say, the baby is a newborn baby. We learn the cues from babies, don't we? So we get to know each other. So we get that, you know, we are able to understand their unique needs. So it's a, I guess it's a process. It's never a finished product. Yeah, that's the same with your health journey. <laughs> Yes, yes. It's never finished. Yeah. As long as we are living, you know. You're just on this non-linear roller coaster ride and doing the best you can. So one thing I just, lastly I wanted to ask you was just if you've had just thinking about our own children and how to help foster resilience in them for the future, if you've had a parenting moment that you're like, oh, that was they yelled and it went, it went pear-shaped. How do you repair after that? Like what's, the, what's the best way we can repair after that? Yeah, I guess, you know, um, in terms of repairing, because attachment really is, I guess the importance is on the repair. So, yes, obviously we need to provide the consistent care and love, but that process of repairing is also very important, yeah? So I guess it is about acknowledging that, we made a mistake. So we tell children, for example, oh, I'm so sorry, mummy was very upset. I didn't mean to yell. I yelled at you, but I still love you. I'm sorry. You know, so you make over, you know, you do that. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, in terms of moving forward, really is about, you know, going back to, so we, I touched on resp- being responsive, but being reflective as well. So being reflective about, why? Why was I? Why did I get triggered there? Is that something to do with my say, past experience triggering me, mm. or am I projecting some of the unneed, you know, unmet needs that I have onto my child, for example? So I think the ability to be reflective will be very useful in the future when similar sort of situation happens. Yeah, so we can prevent that from happening again. Mm. Yeah, and that's. Where that writing, you know, that writing is so important for me, even maybe not a person who likes to write at all, but I, I mean, talking or writing or however it is for you to process those, those, that experience or whatever happened between you and your child, it's, it's just yesterday it was hard because sometimes like right now in this situation, yesterday when I was writing, I was thinking, I can't fix the things that need to fix for me not to have this stress right now. Yeah, you know yeah. that's very difficult. So I'm just going to have to find some new tools, which can be tricky if you don't have, if you've all your tools you can't do right now because of the pandemic. Trying to find some new ones. So for me, I'm 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 trying to lock in Zoom chats, even though I don't really like chatting. I'm trying to actually connect with people on Zoom. And if you haven't got, you know, good internet and that struggle for you, whatever it is, like I'm just trying to make prioritize if I can get away from my kids. I'm going to take a day on Thursday to just go for a walk for the whole day away from my kids. Now, I'm lucky because my husband can fill in that day. 
and currently I don't have much work going on, so it's not that hard for me. But I'm just going to go away for a day just to go for a walk and take a book and some food and some music and just go for a walk. And I guess, yeah, you're right in that it, we do need to be creative now, don't we? Because we can't do the things we normally do. So whether that's through Zoom or phone call or messaging each other, whether checking in each other. And I think I'm assuming it's still okay to go for a walk with another yeah, person. Yeah, one person with mask on, you can go for a walk. So yeah, meeting up with one, she's in my area. That's the thing about the areas, it's tricky because I've got one friend who lives in my area. So I'll be forcing her to go for a walk with me. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, finding that sort of small opportunities or the way you can do still will be very important, but also adjusting our expectations, yeah. Mm, true. And that's difficult because we've been so lucky for so long and so blessed and we've never had to really adjust our expectations. No, yeah. So yeah. it's really tricky to do that for the first time and realise how inflexible we've kind of become. Yeah, yeah. Become. Yeah. So wherever you are, I, I hope this has been helpful and is helpful and that you can go and do a deep dive. In the show notes, Yoko has left some links so that you can do your own research into attachment styles and attachment theory for yourself and just wanting you to have a look because even though we're kind of looking at it from two angles, from the role of a parent and looking at it from your own childhood background, if you're not a parent, then don't have to worry about that part but just take it all it all it's all relevant in your own journey yeah. I think it's definitely the way to make your life more meaningful and hopefully a little bit happier yeah I hope so too thank you so much Yoko for having a chat with me you're very welcome my pleasure <laughs> thank you so much Yoko for coming on the show Thank you all so much for listening. I hope that that's given you a little bit of it, opened the box on what attachment theory is so that you can do your own deep dive. I hope this gives you a small insight into yourself and your behavior and your choices so that then you can, with as Yoko talks about, that you can become reflective, make sense of your own story and do your own healing work so I hope that that is helpful and I thank you so much for listening. Please carry no shame with how things are for you right now. Things are really, really difficult. I'll put some links in the show notes to some support services for you. If you can, access a mental health care plan here in Australia and get six discounted or bulk build sessions with a psychologist or a counsellor or a psychotherapist, I highly recommend that you do if you, if you feel the need to begin getting some more tools as we move forward in this pandemic coronavirus situation that we found ourselves in. Otherwise, looking at getting a bit creative around what tools that you can implement for yourself to help you through this difficult, difficult time. Be gracious with yourself. Be kind to yourself. And know that you're not alone. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. See you next week. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road. Riding with you in the sunnier 